So um, we're all parents. We have kids with disabilities. Um, just to get an idea, David Rizzo is actually supposed to be facilitating this, but he's not here. Um, but I mean, he's here. He's just not here. And so um, in the interest of time, we'll go ahead and get started just because we don't have all day and we want to talk. Um, <laughs> can I, before we get started, I want to get a gauge from you all. Who here is a catechist? Like from a show of hands, like you teach CCD. Okay, great. Who here is um, here as a parent of a child with a disability? Okay, great. Um, anybody here in Catholic schools? Or I'm on the Board of Education for School Education Council. Awesome, that's wonderful. For the diocese or no? For the for the school. Okay, perfect. All right, and then um, I wanted to ask for your opinions in terms of what. What are you all interested, what information are you interested in us from parents? What are you hoping to gain from today? Anybody? If anything specific? Because we have a list of questions that we can go over with you. <laughs> but if there's anything specific you want to cover from a parent perspective, we'd be happy to focus on that. Sure. Is there anything in your diocese for um, people with mental illness? Okay, mental illness. Okay. Any other specific topics or anything like that? Or okay. Um, I guess I'm, I'm looking more for your input on how we can help support parents. Okay. Okay. Great. Very cool. Okay. So. Um, in terms of, that's a really great topic mm -hmm. to begin with, in terms of how you want to support people with disabilities, parents. Sure. Honey, do you want to talk a little bit about um, it? Oh, yeah. yeah, I have a suggestion yeah. why you don't introduce yourself and just say why is your child's disability here? Sure. That's so everybody knows. Yes. Okay, so my name is Penny Curry. Um, uh, my husband and I have been married for 25 years. We go to, we've been at the St. John Vianney Parish for 10. Um, we have 12-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, and our son Gregory uh, has a high-functioning form of autism, which was much lower-functioning when he was little, but as he's gotten older with therapies to death and everything, and just really good uh, school and things like that, he is doing much, much better. So, then um, I come here as a parent with this child and uh, our journey in uh, St. John Vianney Parish, having him included in the parish life and uh, religious education, sacramental prep. So that's why I'm here today. Evelyn? Yes. Uh, my name's Evelyn Ardeen. I, I also attend St. John Vianney Parish, my husband and I, and we've been married almost 10 years. Um, we have two children that we are blessed with through adoption. Uh, our oldest is almost seven, and our youngest is almost five. Um, and I come to you here today uh, in really from two perspectives. Uh, so as a child, my mother had severe, uncontrolled schizophrenia. And now as a parent, my oldest child has uh, high-functioning autism. My name is Elizabeth Toda. I have two very active boys. Um, I have a almost 10-year-old that attends the Regis School of the Sacred Heart. And I have an almost 8-year-old that attends our um, just neighborhood public school, which happens to be a Spanish immersion program. My eight-year-old, um, almost eight-year-old, has Down syndrome. His name is Jake. Um, 
and uh, we have moved every two or three years. So I've gotten kind of um, a little neurotic because of all the moves and life changes. Um, but really excited to be living here in Houston. And uh, I'm really very interested in inclusion um, in education as well as just more inclusion um, in terms of the community and job opportunities and that sort of thing as well. Um, so that's that's sort of my deal. Sorry, we were doing a little, I've been instructed to put the microphone on Mr. Rizzo, so. <laughs> As soon as he's ready for that, sure. we'll do that. This is our facilitator. Sorry, they had me doing book signing and yes. they kept me a little bit. Okay. All right. Okay. Go. I guess. Some questions. Oh, good. General. There's all the questions. Awesome. And um, the three of us okay. just introduced ourselves. Okay. So I'm going to introduce myself. Um, I'm David Rizzo. And um, I basically, I uh, come from New Jersey. Um, I'm a physical therapist by my, uh, by my background. Uh, but um, uh, here what I've done is um, my wife, me, and my son developed a uh, adaptive um, Eucharist preparation kit for people with uh, autism and similar special needs, which um, also led then to writing uh, some books on the subject. And um, I was pleased to be invited here to talk a little bit and also to, uh, to um, function as the moderator of this panel as a, um, as a parent of a child with special needs ourselves. My daughter, uh, Danielle, has autism and it's nonverbal. I'm real glad to be here. So, so everybody's introduced now? Yeah. yeah, and um, we did ask the audience um, who, who they were, and we uh -huh. have a large number of catechists. We have several parents. We have um, one member of the school board at the right. local Catholic parish. Um, someone is very interested in mental illness and what the support in the within the Catholic community is for individuals that are and families with okay. mental illness. And then um, also people just in general would like to know what the... Um, what parishes can do to support parents and families like ours. Well, that's great. Those are great questions. And I just have a list of suggested questions, but we can go with any questions and certainly questions from the, from the audience as well. So, uh, so I'm going to start with asking Penny, I guess. Um, here's a good one. Uh, I, now, if this doesn't apply to you, um, we can, anyone else who it does can take it. Yeah, it can go to anyone who thinks it's a good question. Uh, but this is a question that I think deals with a lot of a lot of us who are dealing with children with autism. Um, there's this issue of vocalizations and stimming uh, for folks who may be familiar with it. So how would you handle vocalizations and rhythmic stimming during a liturgical service? Uh, you know, something that's different than just say tantrum or crying. Yeah, and uh, I, I have my son actually to do some pretty interesting shenanigans back when he was much smaller. Uh, he would crawl underneath the pew and go down the row and uh, or be in the back or he would ask daddy to sit on him when he was about two hundred pounds at the time my son was five or six years old, but uh, what a lot of kids with autism really afraid is pressure, calms them down, collect themselves a little bit. And uh, one way we would do that for Gregory is literally sit on him. And he's a big kid, he can handle it. And so in the middle of mass, when we like, okay, and then I sit on him, and people are 
and then another lady, and I talked about this in my in my speech this morning. I said, um, we know our kids are annoying. Okay, anyway, it gets hard and frustrating. Of course, we want them to act normal and to behave and not very Nobody is more conscious of that than we are. Trust me. Um, but I had a lady, I'll never forget this poor lady, because I, I truly take pity on her, as a mercy on her. Uh, my son was doing all this stuff, and I was crying, and he was bullying, and he was eating, and whatnot. And this woman, every time Gregory was doing this, Gregory was doing this. You could see her so annoyed with our whole family, because we're just annoying her, and she can't. You know, so I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, but the end of that, normally I, you know, I come sometimes, I come out and I would just say, you know what, and I just touch her on the arm and go, I'm just so sorry. I go, I'm going to be annoying. He annoys us sometimes. It's frustrating. I'm really sorry. And she just melted. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, really, it's okay. I totally get it. Which, you know, we're doing the best we can. And I think um, from that point on, I, uh, you have to develop a thick skill. You have to not care that people are annoyed with you, truthfully. Um, there's times when your child can control themselves, times when they can't. Um, you have to be okay with that. And just know that everybody's got their days. There's not one parent who's brought a baby into that church where that child has not screwed their head off, okay? So, why is this any different? Um, people say things, uh, people talk, whatever, it, it's, it's got to be okay. And from that moment on, I just decided I'm not going to worry about it. That's their issue, it's not mine. Um, and I and I now am able to honestly tell my children, no, nothing embarrasses me at all. <laughs> you cannot embarrass me. They're like, I'm fine. So. I, I think it's also to think about like how what the purpose of the stimming is. And so when you think about why people are stimming, um, it's a way of self-soothing. Yes. And it can be very therapeutic. So if any of you have um, practiced any kind of um, of the Catholic meditation, with the Tai Zay, with the, 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 the chanting, or if you've been to um, an ecumenical yoga class where you do the breathing and you, you know, um, and so in many ways, um, in some of my uh, groups, we've kind of joked about the fact that, oh, our kid is, you know, that they're, they're stimming. Yeah. But when you think about their stimming, if you kind of reframe it as a, Mm, you know, mm, like they're actually calming themselves. Um, it actually, when I sometimes then start to listen to my son or if I listen to other kids that may be on the spectrum, it actually kind of starts to help me relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so when you think about sort of that connection in terms of what they're experiencing, it kind of helps you reframe that. And so I think a lot of times too, it is just educating other people about what does normal look like. And everybody has different ways of what's normal. And like when you think about it, we all do weird things. Like I'm sitting totally inappropriately because it's comfortable. And, you know, everybody has those different different ways of what's what's different. Absolutely. And do you have any any insight into this? Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, my son, he doesn't really stem so much, but he does need a lot of deep pressure. And I think, uh, especially for my son, he's... I would say maybe more anxious in a crowd other than just having a sensory issue of needing to stem to calm his body. It's more of his mind. And so he gets a little anxious when it's a big group of people. And I think that for him, he really feels like 
am I going to do the right thing? Everybody's looking at me. And, and he's young. I mean, he's six and a half. But uh, he is tall. I am not. And so for his age, he's quite tall. Like I said, he's not biological. So he, I, and I'm very happy for him. Hopefully he's a lot taller than my husband and I. But um, <laughs> he, he's very tall and he likes to be held. And so he will always turn toward me, straddle me, and I'm holding him. And when he sits on my lap, his head is higher than mine. And then I'll kind of do like this as if I still have a baby. Now, me being a mom, I kind of love it. I'm like, yeah. oh, I still get to hug him. He's almost seven. I like that. But I can tell that. Sometimes, even when it's time to stand up during mass, he's he's hiking his leg up me, trying to grab, trying to grab my neck because he wants me to hold him. And luckily, I'm still strong enough to be able to do it. But I'm getting really close to where I won't be able to. But he really likes to be held a lot, and we do that a lot in in mass. And and I don't know that I've really noticed a lot of faces, and it's probably because no one in front of me notices it. Maybe it's everybody behind me, and I'm just looking forward. And so I haven't really noticed it, but um, but I do have an. It does catch my eye when I see someone else holding a child that looks too big to be held, and he just likes to be close and know that as long as Mama has me, I'm not worried about anybody else looking. You know, it's so funny because um, I I know that we we all do this. I think we start to then look around and say, Oh yeah, I wonder if that kid has special need or this or that, and it's 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 coming out of a sense of comradeship. You know, you you another person. Uh, going through what we're going through and especially when they're younger kids you know you kind of look and you say geez I wonder if I should go over and maybe you know just let them know you know hey it gets better you know yeah. things there's are, a bond there yeah there is an immediate them, bond like I've never really met you ladies before and I automatically know exactly where you're coming from <laughs> from your answers I just wanted to chime in and then I'll get to your question um uh, on the issue of the stimming, my daughter uh, Danielle used to stim. Well, she still does stim quite a bit. And what we found was that deep pressure. Uh, and what we typically did was well, we would put Danielle in between my wife and I. Mercedes is her name. Uh, and um, and a lot of times I would do deep pressure through her shoulders, you know, and um, and that would calm her down a lot. Um, in terms of, but you know, the kids are all different. Um, and, and what they respond to and, and what they react to. And I think that, you know, definitely this issue of stimming is part of what makes it appear so chaotic and so, you know, with, uh, that might be viewed of as annoying but to others. Um, and there is, a, there, there is a certain, I like your heart, you know, you have to develop a thick skin to because I know in the beginning we may be too um, worried about what other people think. And, and I, you know, when you do hear little babies crying and then their, their parents eventually take them out and walk them around and bring them back, we did that too. We learned to just sort of adopt that same kind of idea. If my daughter gets a little too much, we would take her outside, we'd walk around, we'd sit next to a statue or whatever outside on a nice day and then bring her back for a part of the mass where she was able to tolerate it. So, you know, I think there is a way in which we can maintain uh, uh, as prayerful of an atmosphere as is reasonable and as is, um, you know, as, as we can. But with the same token, it, it is not irreverence of our children, it is a, a sign or a characteristic of their disability. So when viewed that way, people are very willing, I think, to understand that it's not because the kid is, you know, um, um, hepped up on three pots of coffee or something. It's because that's just natural for them. And it is a, a self-regulating mechanism, as several of you mentioned. 
it really is uh, for, for a lot of our kids dealing with anxiety, dealing with sensory issues, and the like. What did you want to say? I know you wanted to say something. attended the John Baroni parenting workshop the workshop last year and he um, he actually had an anecdote I don't know if he shared this one with you but where he works at the Jesuit and at the graduation ceremony they had one of the students with autism was actually doing um, the videotaping and then they did people were watching the videotape and they were like what's that sound in the background and it was the student with autism who was stimming but during the graduation ceremony, nobody even noticed it because he was a student at Straight Jesuit. He's been there for four, uh, you know, four years, and the whole assembly and the whole school and everybody was used to his vocal, his vocalizations. And it was just, to your point, it just became the background noise, and that's just a normal noise. In the same way, when you're sitting on the balcony and you hear traffic going by, or you hear, you know, and it's it's just about becoming more accepting. Absolutely. And I think that that's happening. I, I feel that that's happening. I, I see it more and more people, you know, being, giving us less the dirty looks and more, you know, hey, it's cool. It's okay. So we still get some dirty looks, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was going to ask, and maybe this is, we're going to be covering this. Were there specific things, um, you know, that where it actually wasn't at any of our local parishes, but my husband and I took the kids to St. Pat's Cathedral in Manhattan. And I'm from often, New York. I, I'm loving I've this. Heard, I, I'm not sure which priest was. I don't know who it was, but we were there around Christmas time and we had the kids and they were both young. So there was no stimming or anything like that. It was just regular little kid noise. And I was a little nervous because it's St. Pat's Cathedral, you know, and like I've got two little kids. And the priest, who was, who was, you know, definitely, like, very upper class and everything else, and, you know, there were a couple of us families there, and, um, but it was still relatively light mass. I mean, there were more tourists in the back than there actually were people at mass. And he said during his homily, he closed with his homily, and he said, I just want you people here to know, that you would people that are here with the kids, it's okay that they're making noise. <laughs> Let them come, and it's okay that they're making noise. You feel at peace that they're making noise. And even though that was really before, Dave was very young at that point. But that has kind of resonated me at whatever parish that I have been at, because I'm like, well, if the priest at St. Pat's <laughs> in New York said that it was okay that my kid made some noise, then that to me just made me feel so much more comfortable and so I really like it when the priests or the ushers when they do say like it's okay 
Like we're, we'll so like it's okay. Like don't worry about it. And to me, that that means a lot. Anybody else? I would say for me, um, we sit in the same place uh, at Mass when we go, and it's right uh, right behind the Eucharist ministers. So we used to be Eucharist ministers, and we had since uh, pulled back from that a little bit, and so we sit right behind them. And so I think those people are used to us. And uh, we showed up at Mass uh, one day. I never had a big belly. One day, we just walked in with a baby with us. So they're like, whoa, where did the baby come from? And so uh, they were really interested in, in looking at him. And then, and then one day, he had um, one of those helmets on. And I, I had I had a black eye. And I had like busted lips and stuff because when you're throwing your body around with those helmets, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things, but they're painful. But um, <laughs> for the mother. But um, and so they, they, I think they were interested in that. I think that they saw him. Um, you know, really like kind of grow up in the pew a bit. And so, uh, and we've, we've gone through periods where we um, but there was one time where someone who sat behind us, um, I was doing my hugging with him, and we had the little book, okay, now we're stand up and showing the pictures, and so we were, we were doing that, and, um, and he got a little angry a few times. And, um, and I don't remember what it was, he, he had tried to bite his younger brother, or he did something because he tried to knock down his Lego or whatever it was, and, um, and so we were just hugging, and we never took him out. There were times we were taking him out. We never quite took him out, but I guess and maybe they expected, because he didn't look like he had anything, they might have expected that um, I would have like, really fussed at him, but I knew it was just because he was overwhelmed. And so I hugged him instead of fussed at him and tore him out for leaving Mass, you're not getting a donut after church, and <laughs> there was none of that. And so I just hugged him instead, and, and I think when she saw the picture book, she realized, okay, something's different here. Um, and so she had said, you were so patient. You were so, so patient. And she was like, you know, just that's very, very loving. Keep doing that. And so that was really um, reaffirming for me that I didn't bother her with all the chaos that went on in the pew. Betty? Um, you know, there's so many moments. I, I just think that during the intervention of the family as being a team and just having a place for our kiddos to be, to, to be able to enable other parents and kids to go to Mass. Having those, some of those kids grow up and attending Mass now regularly with their families just speaks volumes to me. And it just, it's more of um, I can't say any one moment in Mass um, other than maybe, I remember Father Troy will support you however we can with this program. And just the parish's acceptance of my son. I mean, he's such a great kid. I love him so much. And he's just a good guy. And to make, have him feel like he belongs there. Because he does belong there. And he knows it. And he knows that people love him and want him to be part of this community. That's the, the, the most important thing for here. So. Yes. And in the case of our family, it was a particular church. and particular amazing lady sitting next to me that said you are welcome at our church and your children are welcome at our church. We have a Catholic church half a block from our house and we drive half an hour to the church that we go to because we know and feel them embracing our children and that our children are part of that community. But I also realize that not everyone has that. So I was visiting my brother one time in Oklahoma, and I went to Mass with their family. We couldn't travel together as a family. We have three special needs children. Uh -uh. And I was at Mass, and I saw a lady with a little boy, and just like Penny described, the lady next to her was flinching every time 
this little boy was trying to get under the queue or what have you. It's not my parents, it's not even my city. But that lady just stayed and remained and remained. And, and again, I could see all of the looks all around her, and I was praying the whole mass. And after the, the mass ended, I left my brother and his wife and their family, and I walked over to the lady, and I just said, you are welcome here. He is welcome here. Thank you for staying the whole mass. And she hugged me, and she started to cry. And then after a few minutes, you know, I, I just kept reassuring her, you received Christ. You did it. You stayed strong. And after mass, I went, and my brother goes, do you know her? And, I know her. <laughs> <laughs> and she just didn't know that she was welcome. I got to hear that. I was fortunate. So mm -hmm. if I get to share that with somebody, I think that's just a message that everybody needs to hear. I think we do all need to, to hear, you know, that message uh, that um, we're, we're welcome when we, and, and, and we are, um, we have a role and our kids have a role um, and we have an effect, our kids have an effect on other people and just like um, we, sometimes we think, oh, they'll always think, you know, who are these crazy people? Why are they so loud? Why is their kid who's 14 years old acting like a kid who's two or whatever? But guess what? For every one of those, there's all those other people who get something out of it and genuinely key into something wonderful about these kids and about and 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 so many times I think I have sensed a, a warmth from people sitting behind us or whatever when we turn around with the sign of peace or something. And I think the fact is there is something. Wow, you guys really. Um, you know, you you stuck with it, and 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 your good parents, and and your kids are doing fine. You know, and I think that that's really something that uh, makes it all worthwhile. Um, where does it fall? I don't know. You know, you get you get the other things too. You get the negatives too. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like oh roses. My goodness, it's not. Um, I'll, you know, I'll tell you a story of a negative encounter. Um, w w my daughter, uh, who's nonverbal, um, uh, finally was learning how to uh, reach and do the sign of peace. And, um, but she, she can't really vocalize. But every once in a while, she'll try to make an approximation, a vocal approximation. But it sounds really kind of guttural and, and unusual. So we're there overjoyed because she reaches out her hand to this uh, person in the pew. And she says, peace, like that. Which was really good for her because we're used to hearing her, and we said, "Wow, that's one of her best approximations." And the uh, the lady looked at her like, "Who the you know heck are you, and why are you, you know, making these funny noises or something?" And um, and we had like the wind knocked out of our sails. We were like, "Oh my gosh, you know, we were so overjoyed about this great moment, you know." And I think I, I don't think she realized she. I don't think she had gotten it. I don't think it entered into her mind that this was, you know, that she was really being obnoxious. But I, I think that was just sort of we'll chalk it up to uh, lack of knowledge. But um, but where should it where should it um, fall? I mean, I think that the pastors could um, set the tone. I think they could set the tone for um, for a welcoming parish. So um, in my case, uh, I was thinking of, well, at one point it was very challenging uh, with my daughter when she was younger, and I said to my wife, uh, you know, you go with the 
uh, with the uh, other kids uh, and then to the first mass and then I'll go to the second one. I'll stay with, my, with Danielle. And she said, well, maybe I hate to do that. but So I mentioned it to the pastor. I mentioned it to our priest. Uh, and he said, no, don't do that. I said, well, but we're driving everyone crazy. And he said, no, you're not. He said, and don't care what they think. Just, just come and, and don't, uh, don't be afraid to come as a family. And that was really a, a very pivotal part for us because it did give us that sense of here was the, the um, priest setting, the, setting a tone for being a welcoming parish. And, you know, I just, it was interesting. We're seeing this more. Um, I was just at a um, conference, my wife and I, we're speaking on a topic called uh, how, um, uh, how to uh, be a welcoming parish, how to be a more welcoming parish. And, um, and that came up a lot, you know, like, and what we thought was, well, how about, for instance, priests could relate the readings to people with disabilities, priests could, um, um, you know, just make sort of a mention to the fact they could, they could, they could do, and some do, and some do. The secret is trying to get more to think that way, I think. I think it's, they've got so many on, things on their mind, I don't think they're intentionally you know, not addressing the issue, but I think that to an extent they, they're either uncomfortable addressing the issue, they don't know what to say addressing the issue, or some of them maybe it just hasn't entered their radar yet. And, um, and so they're, you know, a DR, DREs could be an important uh, person too, the directors of religious education, I think could certainly um, take that role. Yeah. Who do you guys think should have that role? Uh, okay, well, I, I've, we've talked, so Penny and I are both on the steering committee with Charlene, and we, we've been brainstorming a lot, and I have to say, I'm really embarrassed, because I have not had an official discussion with, like, the pastor at my parish yet, like, I'm still getting settled, I still have picture frames on the wall, I'm getting there, but one of my thoughts is that I would really like for to start attending like the parish council meetings to make sure that the concept of disability isn't necessarily a separate committee, but so that it's really just like in the mindset of every facet of the organization. So that even when youth ministry is putting together a retreat that or something like that, it could say at the bottom of the thing in the bulletin, like, remember, you know, we're welcome to students with disabilities to be here, you know, signing up for CCE, you know, we're welcome for people with disabilities. I thought it would be really awesome for um, whoever is responsible for baptismal preparation. I think it would be really powerful to have um, a brochure with Charlene's ministry from the disability ministry that's in here that's actually like a brochure in the packet for the sacramental preparation and then to say something to the effect of you know if you something to be on the lookout if your kid actually has developmental delays or how to be you know um, maybe a letter from one of us saying you know look one, we have a child with a disability, like, if you see us on the playground, like, this is how you play, like, this is how you interact with us, like, please invite my kid to a birthday party as your child grows older, and so that we really kind of create, like, this concept of, you know, this, that the, that we are welcome and that it's inclusive, so I think there's different ways of doing it, yeah. I think some places have done committees. Point, you know, I, I would say, I think it's St. John Vianney, it's, it's such a huge parish, you have 5,000 families, so if you multiply just the university, that's a small town, um, and Father Troy is basically the mayor of a small town like himself, and um, he's doing a sensational job, he's got a parish ministry leadership, um, 
so that's extremely reassuring. I think one thing that that Harris is like uh, uh, Elizabeth saying, it needs to permeate everything and just be a matter of course. Like, of course we will plan for this. Of course we'll accommodate that. You know, and I think what stops people is that either they don't know what they're looking at. So, like, I had a gentleman earlier who was asking me, like, well, what if you get volunteers and they don't even know what autism looks like or how to handle kids' behaviors with, you know, whatever. And I said, you know, that's really good. We didn't even get to that in my hour and 15 minutes. Um, so a little more awareness of what that is would be good. I mean, for any disability, not just we, we say autism is work primarily. So for Evelyn with um, Elizabeth's son with Downs, is, um, we're, we're all parents of children with autism. But there are so many other things out there that um, parents are coping with. I have two very good friends whose daughters have um, rare genetic disorders that um, render them extremely physically disabled um, and cognitively disabled. Um, far more catastrophically than my Gregory or, or some other kids with autism. So they're coping with a lifelong physical and emotional mental disability that um, they will never be independent of these children. So that is another consideration is, is cradle to grave. Like we talk, you talk prenatal, we talk end of life, you know, that's what the church is all about, it's just respect for life. We respect all forms of it, not just the perfect kid or the superstar adult or whatever. You know, you have to look at it, we're all like we said, the whole theme is we're all creating a God's image. So for me, I would say I would like to see more on the pastoral side. I remember approaching um, someone in ministry who's not there anymore, so John Manny, but um, somebody in the past to just to start a parent support group for um, for you know kids with special needs. And I got this giant list of checklist of stuff I needed to go, dude, I just wanted a room with a coffee maker. You know, I don't need a giant thing and I don't have to create a blog and all this stuff. So it just just keep it simple. You don't need to recreate the wheel every single time. Sometimes it doesn't matter. You can have room E3 for an hour and here's your coffee and donuts and go. Because sometimes people just want to have someone else in the room with them who gets what they're going through. So I think pastoral, all of it, pastoral, religious ed, sacramental prep, every, every element of the church ministry should have that. Okay. Um, let's shift gears just a little and ask um, what can be done to make the liturgy more accommodating for families with peep and people with disabilities for the families and and the, and the people with the disabilities. So I'm going to preface this with um, our experience. So I um, I actually live in the um, Diocese of Trenton in New Jersey, but um, uh, physically more closely, uh, uh, we're at the end of that of that diocese. It's a pretty good sized diocese, um, and um, you know Jersey's small in size, but it's big in population. It's dense in population, um, and um, we have a lot of families. But the neighboring diocese is the diocese of Camden, and they have every month they have. Um, at, at different at, at two different parishes, they, they alternate twice a month. They have a special disabilities um, um, liturgy, and they make a few different changes. Nothing major, nothing you know that's going to be uh, substantially alter the form of the mass or what happens there. But they change a few things. For instance, one of the things they do is um, they uh, sing only the uh, first. Uh, 
verse or the and the last verse. So they cut out uh, the they cut out verses of the songs if it's too long. They also try to keep the um, homilies to a shorter time period. And uh, one of the other things they do is instead of the full Nicene Creed, they do the Apostles' Creed, stuff like that. And um, it's a it's a wonderfully it's a wonderful experience. Plus, the kids uh, who who have disabilities who are there help to bring up the gifts at the altar uh, for you know the gifts for um, for uh, communion and the like. And um, you know, with appropriate, when necessary, appropriate parental supervision or assistance. So those are some things that I can think of, but what do you guys think we can do to make the liturgy more accommodating for families with people with disabilities, recognizing that the types of changes we make can't really materially affect how the Mass runs? What do you guys think? Um, Evelyn, why don't you start? I give a little... Thought to this um, a, a little while back, and and I find that when we're sitting in mass, the two things, and this is just very, very plain, very nothing um, super inspirational. But when we're sitting in mass, the two challenges I have is it's long. It's so long. Some of the things it's long, um, and and I thought maybe something with maybe not as loud and shorter would be good to offer every Sunday, and it doesn't need necessarily need to be a special needs mass where you have, you know, a ton of kids everywhere. Some kids may be able to take the regular mass. Um, and, and for some special needs kids, going to a special needs mass where there are a lot of special needs kids stimming everywhere may be overwhelming. Could and be. so it, every child is different. There's a combination. So maybe to have just a, a shorter version, quieter version of mass for even families with very small children that special needs may also be able to take advantage of as well. And it's just, it's just a family mass that maybe it's just something a little bit quieter and shorter. Um, so that's one thing. I think that we don't make it to the homily. We almost always have to. We've gotten to this routine. Um, my friend says to add it up a little bit and outside. And if he has a job to do, he's a little bit better. So we'll leave and say, oh, it's, it's, it's potty time. It's the restroom. So now, even if he's not acting up, it's restroom time. Like, you know, you can tell. But we have to be back before the basket is passed mm-hmm. because he's going to put some money in it. Right. So, so we know we go out and we come back, so I, I know it's too long. <laughs> the other thing is, Sometimes the pew space, and I, I know I'm being very, very overly simple, but um, you know when we're out trying to give a little bit of room, sometimes just a couple of rows every so often with some space might actually be, um, I guess, helpful for really young kids or kids that need to move around and do something. I mean, like I said, it's nothing super inspirational, but those are the things that I see is I think just the length of time and just a little bit of room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's and true. Practical. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We it, in Maryland, and from my home parish, we have a priest that everybody loves, and we call him Forty Minute Flynn. <laughs> his masses, it is you are in and out in forty minutes. You hear the whole song, and there's an extra hail mary thrown in after the prayer petitions, and he is just fast. Like there's no like let's wait until everybody stands up, and then we wait till everybody sits down. He does the whole mass, but he's just boom, boom. He's from South Africa, and he's just like boom, 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 boom. And you are in and out in 40 minutes. And I think a lot of times, even with the children's liturgies, sometimes we are like, oh, let's make them special and big and this, and we're going to this, and we're going to act out. And I think sometimes it's just about being more 
efficient, I think, in just kind of moving the pace along so that it, it's still reverent, but that it's just more like, let's just move it along. The other thing is, is that we've traveled a lot, and um, I don't know how possible this is, but I've noticed at our church, we have on the left and the right side of the altar that they use the special occasions that are that's going to come. Um, so in a lot of the countries in South Asia, they have huge masses and they don't have the money for the hymnals and stuff. So they actually project like the songs and the readings and the prayers onto the screens so that you can visually see the words and kind of follow along. And I thought that that was a really cool really idea. Awesome. Because I think whether you're learning to read or if you're more of a visual learner or if you mm -hmm. have a hearing impairment or whatever, I thought, oh my gosh, like what a great concept like to, to put it up so that everybody can kind of see it and follow along. And it's up right where the altar is, but um, they use it throughout the whole Mass like what, rather than just for a special occasion. But I think, you know, a lot of priests would have to be on board with that. I've never seen it done here. They do San Antonio. They do it in Okay, so I've never seen it done here, but that's awesome. But that's great for a lot of kids who, um, if they can see it, because you know when you have all these adults in front of you, you can't even see the priest. Yeah. So you don't know where you're supposed to focus. You're all over the place. But if you have something to actually focus on, you might be a little bit more still and maybe a little bit more quiet because you're actively participating. You can actually see. It's a great recommendation. I found sometimes sitting in the front we do like confirmation masses with the cardinal specifically that's in his stuff that says if you do that regularly, you're not to do it at masses with him. Oh. So I think I think the projecting that yeah. works during mass, using it during mass, it might be one of his things. Might be why you don't say okay. that well, in this diocese alone. It's, it's, it's something to think about. And then the other idea that came up in a sensory integration workshop, um, Meg Dion is... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was telling her that they do that at my church. They do project the, like, the creed and... Uh, in the deaf ministry, um, we had a, um, a f my wife's uh, cousin who passed away recently, quite young. Um, he um, he has been deaf, had been deaf, um, and when he died, we uh, had to put together the funeral, and we uh, had a. This was in Philadelphia, and um, it was a wonderful thing because so many members of the deaf community came out to be there and they did exactly what you're referring to not only was there interpreters both a voice uh, if both uh, uh, ends you know to speak the, to, to take people's spoken words and turn them into sign but also to um, um, the opposite to sign for the, for the liturgy um, they also did what you talked about they posted the songs the lyrics and the like so for for that it, uh, it was seen as very enabling, it helped in a good way. It helped the um, the people who couldn't hear the the words um, understand it, and it might be harder to sign for a song. Maybe so that was interesting. I thought the other idea that came up is um, this concept of the cry room. <laughs> Sounds awful when you think about it. <laughs> the cry room. Um, They're off all over Meg, <laughs> uh, on who is doing the sensory integration workshop, she came up with this concept of turning the cry room into a calm room. Yes. And oh, getting nice. rid of the chairs and actually putting like some pillows and some sensory toys and um, a liturgical, like a, all those really great Loyola stuff, like the floor puzzle of the mass. And you could do a 
You could do like the printouts of the examination of conscience. You could do a visual schedule of the mass so that you kind of work with your child when they need a break. They kind of come in and they calm down and they kind of stretch their legs a little bit. And you kind of work with them so that they can stay longer in the congregation every time. But the concept is as they come in, they calm down. Maybe you could put some Gregorian chants in there or something like that. And then they can kind of go back out to the mass when they've kind of calmed down instead of this concept of like the cry room it has all these pews and chairs just like the main room and there's no there's no space to really soothe yourself because you're crammed in there like a bunch of whatever um, sardines so I thought that was a really interesting concept to kind of see if you could, something to think about that's a little creative um, absolutely I don't know I I have going into the cry room because they're happy they're all sad and crying yeah. like they're all stressed out already. So figure out how to calm it down. I like what you said, though, about sitting up front. Gregory always does better sitting up front. You can see, you can see and he's involved. And, yeah, and it's a, it's a good way for, for the priest and the, um, the ministers up front to, to see, to see that, that family, too, to see what they're, what they're, what they're about. So our what do you just has Down syndrome. His two older brothers sometimes can be um, into the older service. Mm -hmm. So we like to see that also. Of course. Keep yeah. them engaged. I think so much when the kids are aware of what's going on and what the act, what's going on with the action. Like, like when they're little kids and they arrive, and even just like neurotypical little kids too, they don't know what's going on. To them, this is just an extension of the place they last were. But as they get older, they begin to recognize, hey, this is not home, this is not school, this is church, this is very specific, and, and something happens here. And they start to learn, and they start to get in with the patterns, in with the, with the liturgy. And the, the, our liturgy is pretty predictable. That's one of the beauties of it, one of the strengths, is pretty much the same thing happens all the time with you know, the variations that are natural. But, um, and I think that once they realize what are they supposed to be doing, standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever, um, singing, and what's going on, you know, like, like, for instance, putting money in the basket. That's one of the things we did so much. We got Danielle into, you know, drop that money in the basket. She loves putting the money in the basket now. that She looks forward to that. Um, seeing what's going on. Sitting up front, that works great for some kids. Um, I always would feel like mortified, like, oh my God, everybody can see us. But again, I got to develop that thick skin that you were talking about. You know? Like metaphorical too, like you're only looking forward, you can't see what's going on. Yeah, I can't see. So you're only focused on the positive. Mm -hmm. So I like that actually. Exactly, exactly. But I, I do think that you know that, that that the issue of the liturgy and what we can do with it is important. I want to throw something out for you guys. What do you all think about the music and the organ and the songs? Do you think it's like my daughter Danielle loves music, so the more music, the, the better and happier she is. But what about the kids who have the trouble with the sounds and the sensory stuff of music? Um, headphones. Headphones. headphones that sounds good. Uh huh. Uh huh. So he's completely cool with music. 
Um, but I, I've seen a lot of kids with head, when the more you see it, the more normal it gets, right? You're normalizing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids have these headphones out there, great sensory, even like the ones you wear on the airplane, you know, um, would, are helpful. Um, I like the headphones. I would, the other thing too though, a lot of like I've suggested to some parents who their kids just cannot tolerate Sunday mass. The daily mass is wonderful. A lot of times there's no music. It's straight up just the prayers, um, you know, and it's, they can get in and out and it's like you're getting all your sacraments. Um, a lot of times we say, well then why don't we try daily mass? I mean, they might actually really like that. Mm -hmm. It's a smaller, there's not as many people, it's not as chaotic. Um, that's another thought. Okay. Um, so here's here's one that I, I like this one. This is a good one. This is one I think that will uh, get us thinking. So we might we might be a little nervous about it, but I think it's a good question. What are your greatest fears about having a child with a disability? What are your greatest fears? And I think I probably have the oldest child with a disability, so I'm going to go first. My daughter's 18, I'm 55 now, and our biggest fear right now is what happens when we're gone? What happens when we're gone? So people who have older children might be able to relate to that one. Um, and so, you know, that's, a, that's one like, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to grapple with that one. And, um, and, and, and that really, I think, leads you to have to do like kind of a prayer of holy surrender you know what I mean? Like, you know, these, I, I can't get out of this. <laughs> One day I'm not going to be here. What's going to happen? You know, and um, try as I might, I've never figured out a way not for this to not happen. So uh, one day, you know, so it's like, um, so that's my big fear. Um, and so to a sense, you, you know, you have to trust that your children, your other children, that uh, um, uh, the, the the process that's out there will help, uh, will 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 find a way that God will um, lead it, you know, to the best uh, outcome that uh, He wants for us. But what are your guys? What are your thoughts as younger parents, younger mothers? Um, I'll say that uh, my son, he is again high functioning. And so I, he has a he has a great look of skills. I mean, he is so verbal. He does not stop talking. Um, he is incredibly, incredibly smart. And so I have no doubt. There's not a doubt in my mind that when he when he is older, he will be employed. He will contribute greatly uh, to our society. And so I believe that he will. But with all of those skills, he also has the skill of awareness. He's very aware of if he can't handle his emotions and is misbehaving that others are looking. He's very, very aware that um, he has to eat different foods than everyone else. He's uh, very aware that he goes to a different school than his brother. And so I think for me, my biggest fear is uh, anxiety and depression. And he's older. Will he be able to cope? Am I able to teach him enough now that he'll be able to cope when he's older? And are what we're doing now going to make him more acceptable? Or accepted by the community when he's older, because he uh, he's very social and he wants friends. He wants to go to the church bazaar right. that we never go to. We, we typically go on vacation every October when St. John Vianney has a bazaar because it's loud and it's the jumpy house and there are kids everywhere. It's like an empire, and we cannot go near it. Um, and I think he would want to. 
And so it's depression. So you're concerned with depression, yes. Absolutely. Anyone else want to have um, there? That, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a really hard question. So when Jake was born, I did not have a prenatal diagnosis. It was a very, it was a huge shock when Jake was born. And we really went through a great state of, um, of grief. And our life really changed a lot, very dramatically in, you know, a very short period of time. We were living in an international expat community. We were in the process of moving from Tokyo to Doha, Qatar. And we were literally going to pop a baby out over Christmas holiday with my parents. I did not have an OB. I was just like, well, everybody else just shows up at the doctor and has a baby. So, like, I'll just show up at the hospital and have a baby. <laughs> so when Jake was born and then we found out he might have heart issues, like, we decided not to go to Doha. My husband wanted to have the, the, the surgery in the States. And I had a lot of fears. Like, my child's, you know, he's not going to have a job. Is he going to fall in love? Like, you know, I just had all these fears. And I was reflecting on it now, just when you asked that, and I was like, I, don't, I have totally different fears now than I did when he was born. Now I know that he's going to have that stuff, but my fear now is related to what Evelyn just said. It's more about me, because I have anxiety. And he wants to do everything. And sometimes, whether it's laziness on my part, or whether it's fear on my part, that he's, like, he's going to have a behavior that's going to act out, or... It's like he wants to do everything, and now I'm kind of like, oh, God, do we have to? Like, you know? And it's sort of yeah. like the fear I feel like now is that I'm going to hold my own child back more than anything because of whether it's because of society or my own fear of failure or how we're going to look as a family or I don't know what, but it's, it's more about like the feelings that I'm personally feeling when he wants to do all this great stuff. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't know, did I articulate that? Yeah, yes. I think so. Okay, very well. Okay. Anyone else? I'm good. No? Okay, um, so here's a good one. What do you wish people knew about your life or about people with disabilities? Why don't you start? subscribe to the fake it to me make it uh, <laughs> philosophy a lot of times I um, don't always have it all together big surprise um, there are times when I'm leaning in and uh, I really just hope that things work out and it's um, I don't know you know our life is, is actually pretty good um, there are moments where that I keep to myself that I despair because I want more for my child and want them to have better friends or closer friends or not get dished on Halloween for kindergarten for trick-or-treating by the next door and for boys and Gregory, let's go trick-or-treating. Of course Gregory counted on that all week and then the kid was not there. And that was heartbreaking. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm just now sharing that with you all and I'm not sure that with anybody else. Uh, so that sort of thing hurts a lot. Um, so there's pain involved. Uh, I worry that I shelter him too much. I feel like maybe I should, like Elizabeth, but kind of let him out a little bit longer on the, on the, on the line than I do. Um, and, um, 
you know, yeah, it's just, it's, it's um, we're just like everybody else. We have the same hopes and fears for our children that, that regular people with, with you know, disabilities and their families do. We all have the same desire to be happy with our friends, to be accepted, be accepted, um, you know, for who they are and just as they are. That would be wonderful. Uh, it's just not a perfect world. It's a crazy world. So um, that's hard. But... The question was, um, or uh, so what do you wish people knew about your life or about people with disabilities? What would you like people to know about people with disabilities? Okay. Yeah. You go. I'll say about our life. So anyone who's a parent, I would say, knows that parenting is tough, with or without special needs. It's really tough. Um, kids ask questions about everything. So they ask where do babies come from, they ask all those questions and they're always hard to answer. Um, you know, why did I hear so-and-so politicians say this on TV or so-and-so? My friend says, so, all these things that they're, they have so much information coming at them and sometimes it's hard to talk about. And I find that with a child that has anxiety is a little bit different, we have to talk about so many more things. It's take parenting times 100. So many more things that we have to explain that many people take for granted. And I think that having to explain things that maybe should be natural um, to many kids and, and maybe to, to, to your special needs child it's not, um, or, or that other kids aren't um, as exposed to special needs child, so they may look at my child or someone else's child a little bit differently, why those spaces, why am I different, all those kinds of questions. It's times 100 and it's exhausting. Purely mm -hmm. exhausting. So when you see a family with a special needs child walking into mass, they did not go through the same morning that, anyone else, that everyone else went through. It was times 100. Right. When you see them in a restaurant, they did not get to that restaurant the same way that everyone else got to that restaurant. Times 100. When their kids go to bed, they may not just sit and just watch TV and just whatever. It's times 100. If you're reading books on how to develop their brains, you're reading books on how to heal their bodies, you're, you're, you're looking up a line of, of support groups and, and ways that we can help our family. It never stops around the clock. It never stops. It's completely exhausting. Boy, I can relate. Uh, that strikes me as just exactly what I went through. Too, you know that sense of 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 just uh, uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes mm -hmm. in a special needs household. Really, what do you want? I was just gonna echo. It's just the exhaustion is, mm -hmm. is, and I don't think people fully comprehend it. And I think that's the best part about um, when you meet somebody else that has kids with special needs. You feel like I just met Evelyn today, and like I feel so bonded to her. And I don't even know, like, I, and that's one of the perks is I feel like having a kid with a disability, you are suddenly like connected with other people who are just absolutely like, Isn't that like it is the best sorority or fraternity or whatever like you would possibly be a part of because it just weeds out all of the annoying extraneous people in your life and it very quickly your friend group just kind of focuses and um yeah I mean I'm just really amazed by the the people and I just it is exhausting and I think sometimes too you know even from a like a spousal like marital perspective I don't think um 
I, there's so much work that goes into having a kid with special needs in terms of the art meetings and the advocacy. And the, um, you know, I'm looking for a paid job right now, but my resume shows that I haven't worked in 10 years. And I wish to God I could somehow market what I am doing for my child on the resume because the advocacy work, the negotiation, the networking, the trying to find the right therapist, the fighting to get my kid into school, everything is just is it's so intense and it's so exhausting and I think sometimes the hardest thing is is that <laughs> I think people who don't fully get it the, there's people who get it and then, then there's the people at school who you kind of run into and they're like did you bring like you didn't sign up to bring cupcakes to the PTA meeting and I just want to look yeah. at them <laughs> and I kind of give them this look like okay yeah. I'm like cupcakes cupcakes to the PTA meeting like got it got it all right you know and it's like I takes every moment of me not to explode because there's no there they, it it the the it's just it, it's so much work but it's a joy. And it's a blessing, but it's just so much, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. The fatigue keeps coming up. Anybody have any experience with fatigue? <laughs> oh, yeah. So <laughs> before we move off that, oh, sorry. No, don't no, move off of it. Before we move off that, I didn't just want to add one thing, too, that, you know, I feel, a lot of times I feel like, you know, it's exhausting, exhausting, and it is. But I try to remember, it's exhausting for him, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, for our child. Exactly. So as hard as it is for us to help them get ready, they have to do so much to be able to live in our toxic world where there's mm. lights and noise and people going so fast and talking so fast and mm. I speak really fast. And, um, and, he, and he, they, he needs people to slow down so he can process what they're saying and know what to do. It's exhausting for him. And so if he needs me to pick him up and he's taller than I am or needs to roll around on the floor a little bit, obviously. Because he just went through a lot that he's worried about everything instead of that having that kid freedom where as long as your your parent is within an eye shot, you're fine. He has many more worries than that. And so I think that a lot of these kids really struggle with anxiety and are aware of a lot more things than people know that they are. Right. Well, you know, there's like, I think, ten. am I correct? There's about 10 minutes left on the clock. Uh, how do people feel about just opening it up to the audience here for some questions? Is that good? Do you guys have any questions you'd like to, to ask us about? Well, I just want to add to, to the same topic. Uh-huh. Um, with, with the exhaustion and with the creating a safe space for our children, a lot of times we do that at home which then they can become a little bit isolating, but also it's the place where they're comfortable, it's the place where we're comfortable. So, especially to our family members where sometimes our situation is too heavy, and they keep inviting us to go here or go there, we can't. But we tell people, come here. You just sit down and just be at all. She was the only one that existed. We would all follow her and go, wow, 
that's what a little girl is supposed to do because we wouldn't know any different. Mm -hmm. But to her, that is it. And there's such beauty on it. So again, I tell friends or extended family members, just show up for 30 minutes. Sit in the backyard and see how beautiful this is. You don't have to do anything else. And don't ask me to go to your house where she's going to climb into your chandelier. I know, she just broke out.